Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, Emerging Perspectives on People, Process, and Profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm very excited to have as my guest, Ken Beller. We'll be discussing value populations, a new view of the market, Before I get started, let me tell you a little bit about Ken. He is a thought leader, author, and president of Nearbridge Incorporated, a consulting firm that specializes in building intergenerational harmony. And Ken is the lead author of a book, The Consistent Consumer, Predicting Future Behavior Through Lasting Values. So Ken, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you, Olivia. It's great to be here. My pleasure. So many of my listeners work in marketing using demographic data, and it's often characterized by traditional generational groups like the baby boomers, the millennials, Gen X, Gen Y. And we know that how each generation thinks and behaves is critical for creating the right products and services and the right marketing messages and all of that. But these traditional approaches look at how people behave and attempt to predict future behavior based on past behavior and arbitrary time frames. And with the rapid changes in technology, global markets, it looks like this past behavior isn't necessarily driving future behavior anymore. And, And by the way, that's the basis of predictive modeling, something I've done for many years. So I've seen this mm-hmm. deterioration happening. Right. So I'm really intrigued by your approach at Near Bridge. You have developed okay. value populations, and you look at why people behave the way they do, and you look at deep-seated and often unconscious values to predict future behavior. And I would say that's not only useful for marketing, but it can help us understand our coworkers, our families, our neighbors, even our politicians. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anything can help us understand Perhaps. that, but we can try. <laughs> <laughs> really. But, so would you share with my audience about your research that shows how values drive behavior so we can get better at predicting future actions? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that, Olivia. Again, so much for having me. Oh. And um, thank you, audience, for listening. Um, you know, what we found is my two business partners that I started this business with, Lewis Patler and Steve Weiss, um, probably about 10 years ago, we were looking at short-term trends, trying to figure out, you know, could we predict trends that would help businesses, you know, predict where they needed to be? And what we did is we started realizing is that this kind of mega trend idea that was brought out with John Nesbitt years back really wasn't working quite right any longer. Um, and so we started looking in some of the demography and saying, how, is it, how are these groups broken up into smaller groups? And what we found was that... Uh, um, all of the groups were, uh, the generations became a real big important factor on this whole thing right there. And so we started looking to the generational side of things and realized that this traditional approach of baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, just didn't really work because Mm. it looked at past behavior and tried to predict future behavior based on that. And let me give you an example. 
Yeah. Um, let's, let's take this baby boom generation that we know about. You know, they were the largest anti-establishment generation this country's ever known. Mm-hmm. You know, they were basically against the man, if we want to call it that way. <laughs> and today, that same group is the largest group of capitalists we've ever seen. Now, I don't know about you, Livia, because I know you do a lot of data work, but I have a hard time extrapolating this past behavior of being against the man, being anti-establishment, to now being the man and being the largest group of capitalists that that we've ever seen. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. So, it sounds like in the past... Well, so did their values change or just, anyway, well, tell me more. This is fascinating. No, what, that's, that's what we started looking into. It says, why is this not working? And what we realized was, you see, this whole baby boom Gen X stuff kind of started with a boom and a bust in the birth rate. Um, uh, and, you know, what happened is people thought, well, a generation is about 20 years because that's about when people get married, have kids, about every 20 years. So some sleazy marketing guys like me probably <laughs> i don't like to say i'm sleazy but uh, you know just chunked off this 20, 20 year time frame you see mm-hmm. and said that we're going to call this the baby boom generation and they started trying to predict you know how they would behave and from that point on they started chunking off 20 year points you know with gen x and gen y millennial and just kept chunking these things off and we just found out that this just didn't work quite right because again behavior isn't driven by past behavior that's not a driver. That's like your last cough doesn't drive your next cough. What drives your cough is the cold. So we said to ourselves, what is it that's really driving this behavior? And we said what it was had to be these deep-seated values that caused people to react in similar ways. And what we found was those deep-seated values were created around something we call shared events. So in in, uh, the society you grew up and there's some shared events that everybody experiences and that causes them to see the world from a fairly similar perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Could you give me an example though because I would think that people in the same generation that would experience the same shared event or you're saying sometimes they don't. It just, like think about the Vietnam War or something like that. that Yeah, exactly. Mm. So how how would that affect some baby boomers and not others perhaps? Well, what we would find is honest. Um, so what happened is, what we realized is, starting in the 1920s, um, society started to play a bigger role on people's value formation. You know, prior to 1920, Olivia, um, like my grandfather, he was born prior to that. Um, he, his father, his father before, saw very similar environments. You know, often they didn't travel more than 50 miles from where they grew up. They had very similar social um, very similar religious values, very similar everything. And you didn't really see what was happening in the world that much because there really wasn't this age of information that allowed that to happen so quickly. Right. They had no access, really. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But in the 1920s, we had the proliferation of the radio started to kick in. And so now people actually heard about things that were happening outside of their local and cultural conditions. And familiar con- familial conditions. So what happened is the world started to become much smaller all of a sudden. And subsequently after that, then movies start coming in, and then TV, and now we have the internet. And pretty soon, if you look growing up, um, they're formed much less by their family values than you or I were when we were growing up, and much more by society's values, because they have information coming at them. Does that make sense? It does, and the connectivity, I'm thinking. Uh, and there were many more shared experiences 
I know for my children than there were for me. So that does make sense. Exactly. And so what happens is, you know, our kids are seeing much a much smaller but yet a much bigger world at the same time. So, you know, I mean, my nephews, I don't have children myself, but my nephew, he's uh, 16 or 17 now, and, you know, he's playing video games with kids in Korea and in Japan and in, the South, you know, South America every day. It's something you and I would have never even envisioned playing with the kid on three blocks over maybe. Exactly. And so what's happening? You know, so what's happening is the worlds are becoming smaller. So what we started doing is we have a database of literally tens of thousands of significant events. Again, movies, music, TV, radio, religious changes, everything over the, since, the, since 1920. And what we did is we started uh, running our magic on it. I'll just call it that. <laughs> and started finding some these places where society made a pretty big shift in the way that it operated. And when that shift happened, the new generation being formed after that picked up a different set of values that allowed them to adapt and survive to that new environment. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, so they do follow some sort of uh, a time trend. It's just not the same as the 20 years, for example. Exactly. And what was interesting, you picked that up quickly. What's interesting on this, Olivia, is that we're seeing these different generations, or as we call them, value populations, based on their values, is actually getting shorter every year. Mm -hmm. And we attribute that. It wasn't something we expected or even looked for, but it just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. And what we attribute that to is that because of this information moving so much faster, you know, kids are learning much faster than they did. I don't know if you spend time with 10 or 11-year-olds these days, but it's almost like you're talking with an adult. (laughs) It's it's not like when I was 10 or 11, you know, I wasn't talking about the same thing these kids are because they see so much. You know, all the world's information is at their fingertips these days. Yeah, and you know, when I was 11 or 12, I wasn't hearing about things like global warming or we might have felt like there was a threat from Russia where we'd get under our desks, but it wasn't yeah, duck that cover. right? <laughs> but certainly, the idea that we could drink the water or the air was never an issue. We, you know, it was just very safe. So yes. these kids, in some ways, almost have to grow up faster because I they think do. they're getting that they need to do something because we're not moving quickly enough. <laughs> yeah. And the world's going to be theirs one of these days, and they want to get hold of it quick enough so that we don't deplete it too quickly, maybe, huh? <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. So, so that's exactly what's happening. So what's happening is we're seeing these time frames shorten, actually. And, um, you know, typically what we also found is in typical demography, because there was no specific reason or why they were chosen other than, you know, start chunking periods. If you start looking at like Gen Y or the millennials, there's about 20 different times for when they start and when they end. And Mm -hmm. some people start them after the other people end them. And there's really no real reason why they pick those time frames. And for us, they're very specific because we actually see society shifting very quickly. Now, What's interesting, Olivia, and we've, we've now recognized this, you know, after the 10 years of putting this out, of course, you do your research, you put out your hypothesis, you test it, it looks valid, but then you say, okay, now we have to bring in the experimentalists and say, is this actually what we thought it was? Mm-hmm. And the experimentalists happen to be all of our customers that we use this with. And what's 
what's really been great for us over the last seven or eight years using this with customers is it's become very clear to us that these dem- demographic breaks that we have and the values that we've assigned to what I'll call the personalities a little bit of each of these value populations has actually been very consistent and, and worked very, very well. So we have a lot of empirical data that shows that this really does uh, match what we predicted it would match. And uh, so a lot of our clients are just loving this, and many of them are actually taking the old training that they have on, on age-based demography, generational stuff, and replacing it with our model because they say it works so much better. Interesting. I wanted to ask you just quickly about the database. Is this something you built yourself? It is. It's something we created and built ourselves, exactly, and just literally tens of thousands of pieces of information. And so what's interesting is we kind of use uh, quantitative data, and we use some quantitative and some qualitative measures to actually look at this. Because in the end, you're creating a personality, and it's, it's a qualitative analysis. There's no, you can't quantify this exactly. So what happens is we use it to kind of point us in the right direction, and then you have to put a little bit of art in it. So there's science in it and there's art in it a little bit. Um, you, you know, that's kind of the way social science works a little bit. And, um, you know, the one thing I do want to mention here that's very important for our listeners, uh, for your listeners, is that this is a social... Yahoo Finance and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. So I'm back with my guest, Ken Beller. So the golf club analogy really offers an interesting perspective because... The woods are different than the irons, but they all work with angles. And the way you could think about approaching customers with different values is using a different angle. So I really like that analogy. Um, so Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what are some of the categories of the value populations? Well, we have six different value populations, as we call them. And the first one is what we call the Patriots, um, and that kind of makes sense. We try to name them so that they, they sound similar to what you know, we're, we're meaning. And the first group we call the Patriots, and they were born between 1920 and 1937. Um, the next group we call the Performers, which is kind of the baby boomers, but um, what we found is that when the birth rate started to drop off, 
off. The society didn't change, didn't look at things the same way. So a growth in the birth weight, society was operating differently than uh, when they dropped down. And um, uh, the next group we have is the tacticians, and they were born um, uh, were 1958 to 1971. Uh, we then move into a group we call the believers. Uh, they were born in 1972 to 1983. Uh, the, follow, the, the fifth group we call the transformers. They were born 1984 to 1995. And finally, we have a group called the owls, which were born in 1996 through 2007. So six different value populations. One of them is being formed right now. We're not sure when it's going to end or if it has ended. We're, we're still looking at our databases, but I'm sure in the fairly near future it will be coming out uh, sometime, who knows, now in the next five years possibly with another value population. And so we'll, when we do, we'll let you know. Wow, that's fascinating. So I'm just so curious. The Patriots make sense. Um, performers, I'm guessing that's because... That generation has been successful, perhaps, or they're doers. Is that a, a fair? It's statement? not so much that. Um, what what we do is the patriots you get, and, and we kind of have a gift for each of these. And the patriots' gift is as a gift of loyalty. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, with the performers, remember we said they were the largest anti-establishment generation we've ever seen, this baby boom generation, and now they're the biggest group of capitalists, and how uh-huh. could you, you make that happen? Here's how you, that we like to think of it, Olivia. Think of this like the spokes of a wheel. So that anti-establishment behavior was a spoke headed to the left, for example, and 180 degrees from that to the right was this capitalist um, uh, generation. Now, both those spokes, while they're headed in different directions completely, they're both attached to the same wheel, and they're attached to something we call the hub. Mm-hmm. That hub is actually where values are. So those values are what connects all of those disparate behaviors that we see. And in this case, the value that connects them is this, this desire to perform, and that's why we call them the performers. So for this generation, whatever play they're in at the time, whether it's anti-establishment or capitalism, they're going to play it to its fullest. So it could be Othello or the music man. They're going to do, you know, play that play to its fullest. Once it's over, they find their next play. And as a matter of fact, a lot of this group is now retiring, and unlike the patriots that decided to just retire, sit on you know, their porch in a rocking chair, this group is not going to do that. And they're actually coming into something we call their encore years, and they're saying, hey, we've done all this amazing stuff in our lives, but there's a lot more we have to do and to offer, and so they're going to step up and do a lot more of it, I think, on the nonprofit side. So we're starting to see a lot of performers actually um, perform just outside of the work environment. Um, but it, it's still like a work environment because it's a nonprofit. So it, it's called their Encore Years. And actually, there's a really interesting website called Encore.org that goes through this uh, and shows a lot of people doing this. It's, it's quite a neat uh, website to look at, Encore.org. So when people are very successful and then they turn to philanthropy, for example, I guess that's what you're talking about. And in a way, they're going back to their roots, not necessarily anti-establishment, but trying to help society rather than it's just remember just it's just another play for them ah and for, for and for their gift the gift we give the performers is the gift of passion they're just very passionate about whatever play they're in fascinating does that make sense it does yeah, yeah. so how about the t- technicians what are the values for them yeah the technicians are interesting um they're actually very different um 
the tacticians are very pragmatic. They're very, their gift, we say, is logic. So they're very logical. They're very pragmatic, um, self-reliant. You know, they're focused on time and efficiency and service and very different than the performers who are, who are focused on very different values. You know, the performer value set is one of you know, personal freedom, creativity, uh, romance, friendship. Uh, and so tacticians are very different. You know, what we find, Olivia, is that each value population after the one prior to it um, has, often has a very uh, dissimilar set of values. And I think it's, you know, what we postulated is because they're trying to find their own identity. And, you know, they're certainly not capable of taking on the same identity and, and actually, you know, winning in the environment that the group before them has already, you know, head start on. So they form their own identity, and that's usually very different than the one prior to that. So what we find is that every other generation is more similar to each other. So in our model, we have the Patriots. And then we go to the performers. If you flip over those to the tacticians, then you go to the believers, you flip over that to the transformers. So the patriots, the tacticians, and the transformers um, are, are more similar. We like to call them, they, they're, they're more similar and focused on more of an analytical processor, where the performers, the believers, and this last generation, the owls, uh, we tend to say have more of an emotional processor. So they tend to be very different than each other. And often the generations you get along with best are ones that are one away from you, either up or down the ladder. And the ones you struggle the most with are the ones right next to you, either right before you or right after you. That's and that makes some real conflict in workplace happening. Yeah. Right. So in a way, it comes to mind that we tend to rebel against our parents, for example, which would be the one generation higher. Does that have any bearing on this at all? Yeah, I, I think it has a little to do with that. Again, I th- I'm not so sure it's as much rebelling just to rebel as it is to try to find our own identity mm-hmm. as we're growing up. You know, we're trying on new identities. And again, if you try to put on the same identity that they have, you don't gain any ground. So you have to find your new, a new place for you. And, you know, what we say is that when the generation before us is acting out, we're being acted on. So oh. what's interesting is when you look at the events that have shaped your value population, you don't often identify with them that, that closely. Um, what you really resonate with is the generation after you because you were acting out. You were participating in creating those events where you weren't mm-hmm. actually participating when you were younger. So people always say, is, hey, you know, I'm a tactician. I don't resonate with the music that you show as the tacticians with Janis Joplin and, and Jimi Hendrix. You know, I'm much more into the... The, the, the music of the believers. Well, that's because um, when you were acting out later on with the believers, that was your generation creating the music. You were part of that. So you remember it much more clearly. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So how would you characterize the values of believers? Well, believers, um, what we call their gift, and we like to call these gifts because we really believe that um, every value population has something to offer offer, has a lot to offer. And often in, in uh, generational demography, it's kind of like, what's the negative of these? And we don't like to look at it that way. We like to be for things, not against them. So we prefer mothers for sober drivers rather than mothers against drunk drivers. Got it. Does that sense? <laughs> it does. I like that. And so we look for the gifts of each of these, and that's why I call them the gifts. And the real gift of the believers is harmony. Mm. Um, and so some of their values are things like leadership, uh, friendship, um, justice, patience, uh, grace. Um, they're a very uh, 
kind generation. Um, what's really interesting here is we don't see a lot of gender difference in any of the value populations except this believer population. We definitely see a gender difference there. And we believe a lot of that is because feminism played such a strong role when this generation was growing up. And so the male models were people like Woody Allen, Alan Alda, Richard Dreyfuss. They weren't the old macho kind of male models. And, you know, you probably remember that time frame. Remember, real men eat. Active leader today with complexity and the volatility of business, that the leaders have to be more empowering and less dictatorial, you know, have a more feminine, I will say, yeah, um, more inclusive, compassionate way of leading just to really do their jobs. So that does make a lot of sense. So Yeah, it's what, go ahead. finding that's a real important factor out there, compassion and empathy. Mm, yeah, and it sounds yeah. like you could actually just validate this against companies that have, say, female CEOs. What age group are they in? And really see the, the value of your model here. You could, although we still find a lot of, uh, company CEOs and stuff are in the tactician realm versus the believers. And, and that's partially just because the oldest believer is, I think, 41 right now. So okay. they're actually just getting typically to the age where they're entering the C-suite jobs. Does that make sense? The executive job. So we'll see more of that later. And, and um, you know, I, I, when you start looking at organizations at the lower levels or first level managers, et cetera, and directors, you're definitely seeing a lot more women in uh, the audience. And, you know, just women in business as a whole. I'm at a, at a small business conference right now um, this week. Um, I'm just finishing it today. And there's probably about 3,000 attendees. Um, small business, and I mean real small, not SEC small. This is 10 million or under, and probably three quarters of them are one to two million or under. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is you used to go to business conferences, and there would be 95% men and a few women scattered in and out. At this conference, there's at least a third women, and it's starting to push the half point. And it's so refreshing to see that you know the uh, the uh, female feminine side of our society is actually starting to play a, a big role in society and in business development. And there's just no question this is not a male event. This is definitely male and female both. That's so exciting. Kind of neat. So I'm definitely seeing that happen. It's really exciting, and a lot of young women too. Um, and when you get down into the younger generations in the 20-somethings, um, I would say there's probably as many women as there are men here just about. Um, wow. So it's really it's exciting to see. And, and I think you know, older value populations have to realize this. And you know, Olivia, this is what makes the stuff so powerful is that you know, me as a tactician and you know, a performer that's older or even a patriot if they still happen to be in the work environment, understanding this and understanding the way these younger value populations see the world is vitally important for us learning to include them and to accept them and to realize that they have gifts that they can offer to us also. So mm-hmm. I, I think you know, this work does a lot in that area. I spent a lot of time in diversity and inclusion with a lot of my clients, and this is a big inclusion dimension. Um, and it's really terrific. And I, I think this really helps them to see, wow, I, I need to understand how they see the world. Because remember, a lot of these younger kids don't know what it was like not to heat food up in a pan. You know, they, <laughs> they, they've had microwaves their whole life. You know, exactly. I was talking right. to a friend the other day, his eight-year-old daughter, some, they were at some someone's house and they put her on the phone to call her parents and she had never talked on a phone that wasn't a cell phone before and the the dial tone she she picked up the phone they handed it to her and she said what's the noise on this phone she'd oh. never heard a dial 
dial tone before. That is really <laughs> funny. I yeah, we don't, we don't even realize when I was young you had to dial rather than even pushing buttons and um it's just amazing how much it's changed. Exactly. And and we don't often realize that because as an older generation We've kind of we lived through this to that to the other, you know. And you know, remember? I mean, I remember using carbon paper. I remember when mm-hmm. um, I was doing a lot of work with facilities other than where I was working, and we would have to send floppy disks back and forth. You couldn't just email a file to people, and <laughs> that's just not the same way this year. Uh, yeah, these years, so, I remember uh, having cards on computers, punch cards. That was real yeah, early when I was absolutely. in school, but yeah. So just the amount of change. Even use the word Rolodex. Even use the word Rolodex now, and and kids like, what's a Rolodex? (laughs) Right, and that that (laughs) had become a a pretty paper you wrote with this thing called a pen. (laughs) (laughs) It's Outlook in paper form, or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and we we often forget that, and so a lot of this work, what we do is in in the training programs that I do. Mm -hmm. um, I have a whole e-learning program on my website, nearbridge.com. And um, we take you through, uh, uh, on each of the value populations, we have about a five-minute video that kind of just is a quick en- encapsulation of what was happening, events that were happening in that time and some of the music. And it kind of takes you back. It's, for a lot of us, it's a real walk down memory lane. And right. for the, a lot of the younger generations, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a walk down history lane. <laughs> yeah. So we have memory lane, they have history lane. I but it really say- helps the other ones. I was just going to say they may understand their parents better or the older people in their community or their company better after having the training. That's exactly right. You know, that's the biggest uh, point I get made after I give this training. It always comes up is somebody or multiple people come and say, thank you for this. You've really helped me not only start my business, but you've helped me understand my parents better. (laughs) You've helped me understand my kids better. I wish I'd have known this 20 years ago. And, you know, that's the most gratifying thing that I get. And that's part of the reason I created this e-learning program so that, you know, people, not just businesses, could actually use this in their personal lives to help reduce conflict and get along a lot better. Because in the end, that's really what life's all about is, you know, getting along better and enjoying life. I agree. So we've got about two minutes to the break. And can you just give a couple of the gifts of the Transformers and the Believers and the Owls? And the Owls, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the believers, as we said, was harmony. We go to the transformers, and their okay. gift is power. Um, they're a tough group of uh, young people. Um, they're going to do a lot of change in this world. And um, what I tell people is, that let's keep them on the light side. We don't want them to go to the dark side because they're yeah. going to make a big impact one way or the other. So let's keep them on the good side. You know, <laughs> uh, what's the oldest? <laughs> what is the oldest age in that group right now? The oldest age, they would have been born 1984, so uh, that would put them uh, uh, and they, 30 years of age then. Okay. So roughly 30 years of age, um, so probably about uh, 19 to 30 as a transformer. And for them, it's about the edge. It's about uh, almost a control challenging competition. This group is all about challenging competition. Everything's a competition for them. If your kid is a transformer, I can pretty much guarantee that whenever, when they were younger, you tried to get them to do something, there was always the negotiation that came out in this. It just happens. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they will always negotiate with you, you know. And, and so they're, they're, uh, we call their gift power. And then finally, the owl generation is... Uh, uh, 
we call their gift um, wisdom, and it's about truth and connection and creative intelligence and, and that type of stuff. That's fascinating for such a young group and, and also good to hear so that they're going to be in charge perhaps to reflect why they behave the way they do. So I'd like to know what are some of the benefits of understanding value populations in the workplace, for example? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we use this with different uh with employers in a couple of different ways, Olivia. One side is on the traditional, you know, most people think of this for marketing and sales, and it works really well with marketing and sales to help you understand your customers better. You know, it, it, it helps you create an instant and lasting connection with your customers because you're speaking with them in a way that they see the world and assimilate. You know, there's this concept of the golden rule that says treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, we, we change that golden rule. We say treat people the way they want to be treated. And, you know, communicate with people the way they want to be communicated with. And that's what this helps you to do. It helps give you some rose-colored glasses that you can put on and look at the world through their perspectives. And when you do that, you're being empathetic toward their place in life. And two things happen. Number one is they understand and hear you better because mm. you're speaking in their language. And number two is they just appreciate it more because you're, you're trying to, to see the world from their perspective. So it's really powerful there. And, you know, so it helps create instant and lasting connections with customers, which always improves your loyalty and, you know, really helps you turn customers into loyal fans, you know, mm. or we like to save into rabbit fans, you know. And <laughs> what does all that do for you? It helps you grow sales, right? Right. When, when, when people like you, they tend to buy things from you. And that's really what this is about there. But, you know, it does a lot for us in other areas. Um, I do a lot of work in the human resources section of large companies um, to help, number one, decrease conflict and uh, reduce stress and absenteeism or what we like to call presenteeism where you know, people show up for work but they're not really there. Mm. <laughs> you know, the lights are on but nobody's home kind of a deal. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, this helps in that area. You know, what people don't realize is that chronic unresolved conflict is the decisive factor in at least 50% of employee departures. Wow. And that most managers spend 25 to 40% of their time dealing with workplace conflicts. It's a big factor that we just don't really even realize is there. And, you know, so really unresolved conflict represents the largest reducible cost in many businesses, and yet it remains largely unrecognized. And when we don't recognize it, we can't work on it. And so, you know, and generational differences is one of the biggest factors in this. And as I've said before, it's like this elephant in the room that nobody realizes, and it's hidden in plain sight. So learning a little bit more about generational diversity can really help you to reduce that conflict, not only within the workplace, but outside of it with customers or with your children or your parents. And so, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, it seems to like you're saying a lot of these values are unconscious. So people may be having conflict, but they don't even know why they're upset. And and when you say that what we can do with this by being empathetic is having people feel seen and heard, that's something that I think everybody wants and likes, even if they don't realize it. So it just seems sure. really powerful that you'd be able to know what you can say to somebody to let them know that they're f- seen and heard and maybe even speak by understanding where they're from, be able to speak to maybe values that they have that they're not even aware of that are, that, that are yeah. generating a conflict, for example. So it's, 
really that's powerful. exactly right. Wow. That's exactly right. Sorry for stepping on you. The, the part of that, too, it's not just understanding the other value population's values. It's actually understanding your own values. Mm. Because you made a really important point that often we don't even know when someone is what I call stepping on our values. Um, because we don't even often realize our own value sets because they're so deeply embedded in this amygdala region, which is our reptilian brain. It's not in our limbic system or our prefrontal cortex. It's really in this reptilian uh, brain that allowed us, again, to adapt and survive. And so what we find is that a lot of people don't even realize that their value set. So somebody does something that really irritates you. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So you see the difference in all of those. Each one of those value populations is very different in that metaphor. Um, let me give you another one as an example, Olivia. Fear and vulnerability. Uh, when you're dealing with the patriot, their biggest fear and vulnerability is typically loss of security. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to sell to a patriot, you always sell safety and security. You don't sell romance. They don't care about that. You sell safety and security. Um, in a performer, it would be personal disrespect. Now, again, Olivia, none of us likes to be disrespected personally ever. Mm-hmm. But it's really important for a performer that you don't show any personal disrespect toward them. You know, they, they, they want to be themselves. You know, I want to be me kind of a deal. Um, a fear for tacticians is outdated skills. Mm-hmm. For believers, it would be conflict with their peers. Um, again, they like harmony as a, and so their conflict doesn't work for them. Uh, transformers, this power group, don't like to be marginalized. And finally, the owls don't like to be micromanaged. Um, they, they really want to you know, kind of leave the cage open if you want them to return kind of a deal. So we have uh, uh, this matrix that just brings out a lot of these different things and uh, helps you understand them a little bit better. And you know, it's hard in, in an hour for us to get through all of these, but I'm hoping I'm giving you a little bit of feel for the differences that each of these value populations have and why we have to be cognizant to uh, their different, in essence, personalities and, 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 and groups that they are. I hope that's coming through. It is, and I really I like when you were saying earlier about how they sort of skip a generation of contrast. So you can see when you talked about for um, performers being play, the theater, and the next one, the tactician, is the control room. So the theater is a group. The control room, you'd be one person in there controlling things, and then the believer being the social community, uh, that's, again, a group. The transformer being a street gang, I don't know. I mean, it is it is a group, but it feels like they're pretty individualized. And then, of course, they're the kind of independent. Yeah, exactly. and then the university, of course, is the group again. Um, and there's there's a study of spiral dynamics, which is characters characterized by different memes, and they also have that tendency to be op- be in conflict with the one right next to it the most so it seems like it's following a lot of those same patterns and it certainly makes sense please go ahead that's exactly what we saw i'm sorry that's exactly what we saw and and again the two if you've noticed the two above you and below you that you often interact with the most you have conflicts with both of them for different reasons but for similar reasons because they're both very different than you and they get along with each other quite well. So often, they, you know, you'll see generations jumping over the other and getting along quite well. And um, once you just know something like that, Olivia, whether you know anything else uh, mm-hmm. you know, about this, you realize is that different generations, different people have different perspectives. And if you start realizing that in your daily life, regardless of if it's a generational 
difference or a cultural difference or a gender difference or any diversity dimension out there, you realize that people are different than you and you really need to put on the rose-colored glasses to see the world from their perspectives. That's where compassion and empathy comes up and that's where people actually start getting along and conflict is reduced. So, you know, if your listeners take anything away from this conversation, I really would hope that they realize, yeah, all this value population stuff is great and there's interesting values and all, but what I really hope they take away is that Different people have different perspectives, and I need to step into their shoes and understand the world from the way they see it, and that will help me and them both get along better. And in the end, we'll we'll both have a better life. That's wonderful, and what a great place to end. So it looks like we're out of time. Ken, thank you so much for being my guest today. I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Well, I enjoyed it very much, Olivia, and um, I'm, I would be honored to come back and be a guest on your show again. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So next week, all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil, my guests will be Simon Robinson and Maria Moraes Robinson, author of Holonomics, Business Where People and Planet Matter. And we'll be discussing how to view our economy as a system with many interacting parts. And this approach requires us to move beyond our rational, logical way of seeing. And instead, we have to leverage our subtle perceptions and intuition to reveal the underlying qualities and values that fuel the system. So we're talking about values today, and this will really tie in with that. And these qualities and values can guide our strategy or organizational design, change management, innovation, human resources, communication, etc. So you won't want to miss this. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning into Quantum Business Insights. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.